Welcome to Fast Frontiers. I am your host, Tim Shigel, Managing Partner of Refinery Ventures. In this episode, we're bringing you my conversation with Victor Gutwein, founder and managing partner at M25 in Chicago, Illinois. In this episode, we're gonna dive into three different areas. One is Victor's motivation for creating M25, which was really addressing a gap in the Midwest landscape regarding access to capital, particularly pre-seed, seed, and later seed stages. Second, we'll look at their access and activity across the region, which includes investments in 24 cities, and the snowball effect that happens once you make an investment in a city and a community and how that spreads. And finally, the many ways that M25 is fostering community with Midwest founders, with their summit conferences, their MidwestStartups.com for Boomerang Talent, and Club 25. Please enjoy my conversation with Victor Gutwein. All right. Today on the show, we have with us Victor Gutwein, who's the founder and managing partner of M25 Ventures, a Chicago-based firm that's been the most active early stage firm in the Midwest in the last few years, uh, with over 90 portfolio companies and counting by the minute. We'll provide an update there to celebrate a milestone in a few minutes. Uh, Victor's also a member of an upcoming Kauffman Fellows class. And for anybody out there who follows venture capital, they know that Kauffman Fellows program is a tremendous program, great program to go through, uh, and really a, um, a high quality and badge of honor, if you will, uh, that uh, Victor will have after going through that program. Prior to M25, Victor was the youngest member of Hyde Park Angels, where he led the consumer product team and also was one of the founding uh, members of the University of Chicago Student-Run Venture Fund. So welcome, Victor. Thanks, Tim. Really excited to be here. I've enjoyed our uh, friendship over the years and excited to be on this podcast with you. It's great to have you. I, uh, In terms of full disclosures, we should say that we have, I believe, two investments in common, Winston Privacy and Astronomer. Exactly. Those uh, companies are both doing really well, but you have uh, quite a background and are doing some, I think, great things from a seed perspective uh, throughout the Midwest. So first of all, why don't you, if you could just share where the motivation for M25 came from and and what kind of investing you're doing on behalf of M25. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks, Tim. So you know, the, the early days of M25 were inspired because of, a, of seeing a gap in the Midwest landscape for the access to risk capital. Uh, there's not a lot of people that have made money in tech startups across the region. There's not a lot of density of early stage venture capital firms. And in order to raise capital, particularly, you know, we see the pre-seed, seed, and later seed stages that that can be pretty sparse and that's hard to attract capital from far further afield. Uh, the coastal markets have uh, a difficulty of accessing deal flow and accessing building relationships with cap uh, with, with founders here. And so we see that as an opportunity. And that's what I saw when I started in 25 in 2015, I had been looking at the landscape for venture capital, talking to a bunch of VCs, talking to a bunch of founders, and really wanted to, you know, start something where I saw, you know, market gap, and so that was the that was the, you know, reason why M25 came to be. I had initially pulled together 
uh, some friends and family to build a tiny, tiny fund. We raised a million dollars and I went full time. I left my corporate job. I was at Walgreens on the strategy team before then. I left my corporate job and decided to start investing across the region. Uh, with that first fund, we made 21 investments. They were you know, tiny investments, but built up a little bit of a reputation, started sourcing a lot of deals, started becoming very active, including with some angel groups like Kite Park Angels, and then raised our second fund. And that's, uh, that's when my partner, Mike, joined us. And we raised $11 million from you know, individuals, family offices across the region. That fund lasted us for three years. Uh, we continue to make follow-on investments out of that, but now we're investing out of our next fund, where we've, you know, we've raised 20, 20 plus million dollars so far, and are investing a little bit larger check, but still the same thesis, same region, still early stage pre-seed uh, tech deals across here that you know we've been able to to now lead and co-lead and work with some great investors like like you guys. So, talk a little bit more about what is, what is the gap. Other than the capital, what's the differentiator gap that you're trying to address and bring to the table? So what we've seen is there's some very common issues that early stage startups face, um, whether you're in Chicago or Cincinnati or St. Louis. And we have built up uh, an ability that if we're on your cap table, we can help fill some of these gaps. The first one is usually capital connections. And you know we know it's generally a warm relationship game, whether you like it or not. That is how venture capital investing is played. And so we try to be that bridge to really help our companies raise money as they grow, providing guidance, coaching, and lots of connections because it's it really is a sales process. You have to talk to a lot of investors to raise money. The second thing we see is just the lack of access to, to talent that is particularly is looking for a job within tech and within a, a startup. You know, the Midwest maybe uh, isn't known for having the long, long history of tech success. And so it's not as ingrained in our culture to work at a tech company. And uh, we are trying to surface people both within the Midwest and maybe boomerang candidates uh, to work at our companies. And we do that partially through a, a website called MidwestStartups.com. We do a lot of blogging and content, but also source a lot of We'll source a lot of candidates and profiles and post jobs that are available in our startups. The last thing that we really have found is there is a, a lack of, of density just by nature of the Midwest and ecosystem with, with so many cities that have, that have interesting startup activity. This isn't California with LA and SF. This isn't you know, the East Coast with like New York and Boston. This is a region where we're seeing unicorns come out of so many cities. And so that, you know, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of interesting opportunities when you look at the region, but there's not a lot of founders on every block. Um, you don't go to the coffee shop like you do in South Park and see a whole bunch of founders uh, talking to each other where you can just get advice and have those relationships with somebody else that's running a tech company. Instead, we found that we are, with our huge portfolio, acting as a bridge in a community for our founders, which we call Club M25. If you invest in it, you're in the club. You know, we have built these bridges. We built these people that are acting as advisors, connecting to potential customers, other investors. You know, maybe if one company is going through a layoff, those companies, that talent could be picked up by another company. 
And that has been huge part of our investments. I think that, that makes us a, a really good syndication partner too, because we, we can just provide some additional network across those three kind of themes that we focus on. So I assume your, your summits are part of the capital connections, maybe not exclusively. And I've been able to attend. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, very well run. A, a lot of great folks, a lot of great energy. Tell me more about how the summits came to be and what's involved and, and some of the successes that have come out of that. Yeah, Tim, we're, we're super glad you, you, know, you, got, you were able to participate and I uh, hope to have you at everyone in the future. But our summits have been, they, they actually started off on that third leg with focusing on founder community and have grown to be bigger with capital connections because it's a little bit of both. What we, you know, we started off, it was just a place for our founders to get together, uh, learn from each other, have a few panels, have some interaction, a lot of social activity to build those relationships, uh, whether you know most of them are not in the same city. And then we started to invite investors and that's really where it scaled. So we had the last uh, summit, I think we had 150 VCs and it's firms that are in Cincinnati and Indianapolis and Chicago, but it's also firms from Boston, New York and SF and LA. And we're able to get that, that, that mingling that happens naturally. And then we also do very intentional double opt-in one-on-one meetings where you know we've had you know 70 of our portfolio companies there they're looking at all the investors and they're selecting who they like to meet with and then the investors do the same thing a little bit like a tinder match if they both swipe right then they're both going to be connected and they can have a half hour meeting together and we set up at the last one we had 500 one-on-one meetings uh, where they were double opt-in that has led to investment in our companies whether it's at the seed stage or the series B stage, we have gotten capital to our companies because of that. And investors, you know, apparently like yourself, have really enjoyed it because the chance to find new opportunities, but also to connect with others that are doing, you know, that are interested in the same thing. And so that has grown. Now it's the largest gathering of VCs in the Midwest. We hope to continue that. Of course, this year we had to do a digital version this fall. And, uh, you know, that, that worked well. Uh, we can't wait till we can you know, kind of bring that same energy back in person uh, once, once that's possible. Yeah, that, that's been a cornerstone part of our value add since we started this, uh, the summits. That's amazing. I hope that continues to go well and gets larger. larger. But uh, speaking of that, how do you cover, what's your strategy for covering all these different cities that are, you know, they're, they're not just an hour away from each other, right? There's quite a bit of distance. So how do you yeah. manage that? Yeah, it turns out we are the most active investor in Illinois where I live, but also the most active investor in Nebraska, which is, uh, you know, that's like a seven or eight hour drive from where I live. And so we we do a significant amount of travel. Now that's been, you know, you know kind of cut, cut pretty dramatically lately, but uh, we are very intentional about being in those communities and building the relationships with the people that are in the startup ecosystem. It's founders, it's community champions, it's co-investors, accelerators, universities, you know, lawyers and service providers that we've built up relationships with. They are you know, vital for not just the deal flow, but also referring and uh, getting the references on how compelling the opportunity is. So much of this is about the team early on. And you know, these are companies that may be pre-revenue or usually early revenue, but it's so much to kind of know about, hey, what type of pedigree or track record is this founder bringing to the table? Have they tapped into some of the resources that are available in the community? Are they, are they well-referenced? Or are they a known con artist that is just trying to you know, tip over the person from Chicago uh, for their money. So, you know, that is vital. 
now that we've done that, we've, you know, we visit these cities regularly, we built those relationships, and we've invested in 24 cities now across the region, many of them multiple times. We made five investments to date in the Cincinnati metro area. And you know, that's continuing to build. It's really a snowball effect because when you make one investment, when you're active in a community, then you start to see other opportunities. And maybe those ones were you know, initially uh, something wasn't stealth or something wasn't really being actively pitched or it's that serial founder that was thinking about not taking on capital, but is having that one meeting and we'll talk to him 25 now. That's the opportunity that we're hoping to really tap into. Because remember, we go early before they're listed on a pitch book or crunch base. So we're really trying to surface these opportunities. Yeah, I think that's so smart. And it, and, and my experience, what I've seen is that there really aren't that many investors that are willing to travel and show up at those in those regions or cities on a you know, regular basis where entrepreneurs know who they are. But the ones who do, to your point, the entrepreneurs know. There, there's yeah. much higher kind of brand awareness for your firm if you do that. So it's not really a high bar. You just have to plan it. You said be intentional about it. It's one of the reasons we book out, we, we map out our year, the whole calendar year, the year in advance so that we have, so we can take the time to make sure we schedule those That's trips. Smart. Otherwise they won't happen. So you mentioned, so this is perfect for Fast Frontiers, right? Accelerating innovation in surprising places. And one of those is Nebraska. So let's dig in a little bit more on Nebraska. Tell us why Nebraska, what's happening in Nebraska? What are the five companies in Nebraska? We it, Nebraska is such an interesting place because it has half the population of nearby Iowa. And all of its population is basically in two cities, Lincoln and Omaha. And, you know, it's, it's known as, you know, other than Berkshire Hathaway, it's really just known as like this ag heartland state. But, you know, it actually has some very exciting companies. You probably have heard of Huddle, uh, which has it just grown really, I think, hundreds of million dollars in valuation at this point with, with a strong investor in Excel. But you've also may not have heard of Spreetail, which is, I think, even bigger. And it's a rapidly growing e-commerce company. And they so they've actually already had some, you know, reasonably exciting success in that, in that ecosystem. You have Invest Nebraska which is among the most active economic development-oriented investors, so state-backed investors. And it puts things like Sensi Tech and Rev1 and Elevate Ventures, it can go right up against those as being active and supportive and um, finding and helping those companies that are coming out of the, uh, the state. We've invested in, in five to date and are always looking at more. Uh, we have Breeze, uh, which is in which is in Omaha, as well as Fanbox and Ops Compass are also in Omaha. Ops, Ops Compass just raised a six and a half million dollar Series A, um, just like a year after we invested. I mean, it's you know these are these are quality companies. Uh, and then we have Four Stars and Open Doors in Lincoln. So both of those communities, we've found a lot of opportunities, and there's more that we've gotten really close to or we're still tracking. And it's it's an interesting you know opportunity. It's not a huge population, but they've done some things right. It doesn't really pop up on most people's radar. Cincinnati has more startups, has, you know, has had some you know bigger opportunities, of course. And Omaha and, and Lincoln are very impressive. And I, you know, we, we make it a point to spend time out there every year too and, and have now a pretty robust portfolio. So well and, and you're doing a lot of great scouting work for those Series A funds and beyond that yeah. I'm sure are not visiting there and helping them connect and, and do some of that vetting and screening for them. What percentage of your companies have gone through some accelerator program with 
some other, you know, with the tech stars or a generator or someone like that? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I don't know if I have the exact percent. It's very common though. In particular for a founder that has not gone through a prior exit, I think it's the vast majority of those founders. It'd be very rare for a non-experienced tech founder to not have gone through some sort of accelerator program. And we've even had experienced founders go through. So for example, we backed a company called Pair Commerce. That company were two of the founders of Each Street, which was a, you know, got, I think it was at one point the fifth largest online ordering company in the United States, had raised over 40 or $50 million in venture capital. Those two founders decided to go through Brandery here in Cincinnati because of how vibrant that that network it could tap into could help its ne- their next company, Pair Commerce. That's relatively rare. Most time, an experienced founder is not going through an accelerator, unless maybe it's a corporate accelerator with some specific relationships they're trying to build. But we still see it maybe for 90% of the founders that are that are relatively inexperienced have not you know, uh, done a tech startup before. And so, I mean, and it's it's the generator network, it's the tech stars network. Those are probably the two biggest kind of uh, for our portfolio. We've had several go through YC or 500 startups as well. So, you know, they're going through national programs or regional programs and, and having, having some success with that. So you are approaching a significant milestone in yeah. terms of number of companies. Drum roll, please. We, yeah, we, <laughs> we have just done our 100th company uh, wow. and, you know, since launching in 2015. So that's a pretty exciting place to be. Um, you think about you know, how much our business has changed in the past five years, how active that means we have been um, averaging 20 companies a year, almost, almost to a month. It's uh, it means that we've uh, you know we've we've seen a lot of deals. We we may have some of the best like metrics around what what does the company need to hit to get this certain valuation. What does this company need to do at this stage? You know we we have a lot of a lot of comps. You know we're in if you especially if you put it in the fact that for every deal we do we usually see about a hundred. You know so that ratio uh, is is also pretty. Pretty exciting, yeah. So that's that's been that's been our uh, where we're at, and I don't know I don't know what the next hundred are going to look like, but uh, you know we are excited about you know where, what we've done, but super excited about where we're still going. So, so after five years and a hundred companies, if you could summarize, what are the you know the top three lessons learned that you've experienced or observed, and how does that change how you think of the next five years? To condense it down to three because I've learned so much and I've had to adapt so much is difficult. You know, there's a, there's a few that come to mind. One is you know just for more on like us investing the the importance of of investing initially at the right valuation for the stage of company. Uh, you don't want, we don't want to be predatory. We want to be punitive on valuation. That's not the point. But the point is that if the company hits reasonable milestones you want to be able to show appropriate markups for being on that journey. And a 20% markup from a discount, an uncapped note is not a reasonable markup. And investing at too high of a valuation early on, just with a bunch of you know, unsophisticated angels, that's not, that's not, going, to, that's not going to help you uh, return your fund. Our best deal is not our highest value deal. Our best deal is a deal that we invested in 
uh, just early revenue days at $3 million pre and is now over $100 million valuation. It's not a billion dollar valuation. Um, we're going to have some that we're going to hit a billion dollars and we might be at the markup that we're currently at with the one just over a hundred million. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that level of, um, you know, being able to know what the right valuation is at the right time and being able to pass on deals you get excited about that can't, you, you can't, you can't make that work. That's a big lesson. We've gotten very sophisticated with that. Uh, the second biggest lesson I would say is probably on around team. We knew team mattered already. We knew that it really could 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 mean the difference um, uh, between between a failing and between you know uh, a great outcome, and just because if the if the founder was able to adapt and pivot, if the founder was able to manage cash flow, manage appropriate burn, comparing to how the well the business was doing, if the founder can inspire, be able to attract talent, can, can be able to pitch investors. And also just the, you know, the founder does not always have to be experienced. Obviously that comes at a premium. That is a high quality trait to have, but just the, their ability to, to, you know, to kind of lead with, you know, by being, by being rational, by being aware of what's happening, but also being a little bit delusional and seeing the vision, you know, and, and shooting really big. It's just, it's a very nuanced combination. Um, and, uh, and and that's something that we are just more in tune and more you know focused on than we had even when we started. We knew it was we knew it was important. Now this stage is all about the jockey, not the horse. Uh, that's an overused phrase, but that's how it is. And so, but that, so that has only become more important. Lastly, I'll say we had initially put a lot of emphasis on current revenues and what the you know the valuation would be from that multiple. We have since. We still care about it, but what has become way more important when assessing traction is speed of growth. All about the, the current direction that that company is headed, or or the signals of the direction. So the customer demand, the users, the engagement, how hard it has been for them to sell. And I remember that could be v- variable depending on the industry. You know, if they're selling into government or into hospitals or something. And you know you only have a three month sales cycle that could be a great signal, right? Versus if you're trying to sell into a ten person small business and it takes three months, that could be a negative signal, right? So there's all of these things that we're looking at, and you don't have too much of that information, at, you know, at the stage that we invest. But that's way more important. You know, if you're growing twenty percent month over month, um, that's way more you know, more important than um, you know being at at a, a high revenue but being much more static with your growth. So those are three, three learnings. There's a lot more. We could write a book between the two of us, I'm sure. So, As a post-seed round investor, you know, one of the things that, um, that we're looking for is relating to the, the, the growth, but also capital efficiency, right? Mm-hmm. So people talk about availability of capital in other regions outside Silicon Valley, right? And mm-hmm. I think it's, it's usually the wrong question. You know, the first first principle I refer to is you know uh, growth. Capital follows growth. After the you have to get through the seed round, yeah. of course, but you need some growth metrics. It may not always be revenue, right? Mm-hmm. But raising money and uh, attracting capital is a whole lot easier when you get the metrics, and you've gotten there in a capital efficient way. So, are you seeing that people are starting to understand that more? The, I mean. That this is already a huge trend following the SoftBank implosion, the WeWork implosion, where people 
were like, oh, wow, we have been given a lot of capital to things that are not capital efficient businesses. You know, DTC was kind of a, an example of this where, you know, there are like, you know, we've invested in some great DTC businesses and there's a lot of opportunity there, but it was uh, a lot of times throwing a lot of money to acquire customers in the hopes that there would be significant retention and, and just spending way ahead of that curve. We have seen this become only more important also with, you know, in a post-COVID world that has made an, an increased focus on more cap, naturally more capital efficient businesses. So less tech-enabled services, more interested in software, right? But I also think there's this ratio, and this is another one, you know, if I had to add another learning or two, there's a rough ratio in the back of maybe a, a series A or B investor's mind that if it took a company, you know, $6 million to get to 1 million ARR, that's a problem, right? It just kind of feels like that wasn't the most efficient path. But, you know, so so if it took 2 million to get to 1 million ARR, maybe, that, maybe that's a relatively good signal. I think people long-term are looking for that ratio to be close to one-to-one, which is really hard to get. It's hard to get early on. You know, you, a lot of these businesses will need significant investment to, to get off the ground. But we are trying to look, how can, how can this company be on that path to a one-to-one ratio a little bit? And then of, you know, a recurring revenues to capital raised. Ultimately, you'd like to even surpass that. Your valuation should obviously be much higher of a ratio of valuation to, uh, to, to capital raised. You know, that's just something that people are worried about, you know. So definitely, definitely paying a lot of attention to that, uh, even more so, Tim, than we used to. So looking into the crystal ball, what's what's the next five to 10 years look like for M25? Yeah, I mean, we we are super pumped and su- I think we're super good at early stage in the Midwest. And like we're talking pre-seed, seed stage. We've, we've narrowed in on this range of five, like the, the company is raising like 500K to like, you know, two, two and a half million. That's, that's really our sweet spot. And, you know, there are, we have some other great firms we co-invest with at that stage. And I think you will eventually maybe, or sometimes you do stuff at that stage, but I think we want to be the best in that, in that class, right? We want to be very active. Uh, We want to be first in mind for those type of flywheel founders. We also, we really want to be first in mind for founders from maybe non-traditional backgrounds. Uh, the Midwest has been, I think, a notoriously hard place for founders like that, you know, don't look like the country club type uh, to raise money. And, uh, you know, we have a diverse team and we have backed a lot of awesome, diverse founders. And I think we can, you know, kind of wear that proudly and say, we're going to, we're going to treat you just as fairly. So those are two kind of you know, two two uh, kind of groups of founders that are huge opportunities for us, and we we will continue to back them. And uh, so we want to get you know more and more in this space. I don't think that the the Midwest is going away. Uh, you know, about ten years ago, it was about five percent of all U.S. venture deals. Now it's about ten percent. So to see that doubling as a relative percentage of all U.S. venture deals, I mean that's exciting, and I think it could grow to be even more. It doesn't receive 10% of all U.S. venture capital. You know, the, the, the capital efficiency is part of the symptom, but also, it's not, you know, there's not as big and bloated of rounds that are happening, not as competitive part of the problem, too, probably. Which I would, um, argue, which I would argue is due to lack of growth. Yeah. 
Because the I growth mean, attracts the capital. Growth is how you get Series B and beyond. Yep. So we haven't had as many big rounds, which is, you know, those are going to, you know, one large Series B will be dozens of, of seed rounds worth of capital, right? So getting that here is important. Um, and I think we can be, you know, part of, like our vision is we want to seed the next crop of Midwest unicorns. You know, so that's a long-term vision because, you know, those unicorns do take five plus years to get to, to, from seed to, to billion dollars, right? Five to 10 years um, is kind of the, the profile. So, so that's, that's where we want to be. That's great. What, what's the biggest myth that you'd like to see busted about tech startups yeah. in the Midwest? Well, and this is, this is happening a little bit with COVID. I think the biggest myth is the lack that that startups can't grow here because they don't have access to capital and because they don't have access to talent. Those are the two biggest things that people are like have historically avoided investing here or have just thrown skepticism on there won't be big outcomes in the Midwest because of this. And we are trying to be an active part of that solution with our value prop as I outlined earlier. But I also think in an increasingly remote and digital world, you know, all of that kind of goes out the window. We are now competitive and you know, all of our advantages now are, are still there. Our cost of living, our ability and access and connection into the, the Fortune 500s and the industries that are here, the expertise of that. And now we don't have this big disadvantage on talent or capital. And so, you know, I think, uh, I think, I think this could be our time to shine. So. Well, I think so. I hope so. And I think you, what you're doing, you and your team and M25 is a very important part of the future of that success throughout this region. So thank you for doing all that. And uh, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Victor, for sharing your, your thoughts and ideas with us today. Well, hey, thank you, Tim. I mean, it's been it's been great to be on here. Thanks for the great questions and for doing what you are doing as well. I think uh, you've been a great follow-on investor uh, to date, and I'm excited to do more with you in the future. Awesome. Congrats on 100 investments. Woo! Thanks for listening to Fast Frontiers. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, fastfrontiers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Again, in this first week of Fast Frontiers Season 2, we have three great conversations to share. You can listen to them all right now. Join us next week when we bring you my conversation with Noor Swede, General Partner at Global Ventures.